Welcome back to the podcast series. As stated, the opinions expressed are those of the individual speakers and not necessarily those of the companies they represent. So let's get started. So let's start now with uh, some discussions and move into the transferable skills. Um, I'll start with you, Sean. Uh, why uh, you might consider making the move from uh, pharma to med device uh, or vice versa? Mark, for me, the opportunities were presented through a corporation that, that had both um, aspects in, in, in one corporation, and it was a fairly easy uh, transition. But in reality, I think if you are considering this, you might say, what's in it for me and what's in it for the, co- for the corporation I'm going to join? I think what's in it for me, uh, if you move from pharma to devices, is the opportunity to be involved in many, many more programs or product developments than one can logically be involved in a a pharmaceutical setting. Medical technologies tend to be much more rapid in their development and much smaller in terms of their commercial opportunity, which means your uh, exposure to many of them is much more likely than in the pharmaceutical industry where you may work on one or two compounds in a 20-year career. And the uh, the, um, corollary to that is that, of course, things happen at an extremely high speed. So products are iterated on um, literally over months or at the most over over years. That gives one a greater uh, opportunity to be working on what ultimately becomes a successful program. Thank you, Sean. Uh, who, uh, why will you uh, might consider making uh, the move from, from one uh, to the other? Um, I think personally it sometimes has to do with opportunity. Sometimes you're ready to take on a new challenge, um, but also often if you, for instance, what happened at Baxter, we were a pretty large company and we acquired some smaller companies and some of these smaller companies had particular devices, for instance, and so you then, as part of the acquisition, you're being asked then to start overseeing some of these smaller smaller companies. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's just by luck. Um, for me though, I think in every situation though, whether I worked on a combo drug or a device or more of a biologic or a drug, uh, I think you learn a lot of different skill sets um, that, you know, certainly broadens your career. Um, and so sometimes it's just, you know, in your progress, in your career, you you want to take on as, as much as you can. Um, other times, it sometimes has to do with, you know, your disease uh, background. So sometimes you've just trained more in certain diseases than others, and therefore it might make sense or maybe it might not make any sense to, to make a move. Talking to that, Sean, uh, what therapeutic area of diseases uh, does a transition make the most sense, in your opinion? Um I, I think, Mark, that um, Hume's answer that you may leverage your uh, existing scientific and clinical skill set is, is an important consideration. Uh, and my own transition involved moving from uh, the development of drugs in the neurologic space to a neurosurgical company. But from there, I very rapidly transitioned to, to, to uh, orthopedics and then to general surgery, uh, to the devices that were focused on the cardiac space, and so I learned that, in fact, one's uh, industry skill set and experience becomes equally valuable the, the, the longer you have been in, in, in industry. The ability to interact with regulators, um, 
the ability to understand what payers are looking for, those type of things become equally important to your clinical skill, your clinical skill set. Disease state uh, knowledge is, is important. And, and in the medical technology space, one other thought that, that um, is important as you think about science is that there is an important um, element that is introduced by the fact that, that our tools depend on the operator. So we all know that if, a, if two physicians prescribed a medication for, for, for twins for the same disease, it's very likely that the outcome in those twins would be the same. But if two surgeons operated on those twins for the same condition, they may get complete, completely different outcomes. As long as one is able to learn that the operator has an important impact in the successful use of medical technology, I actually think that one can transition from pharma to devices in your disease state area of expertise and outside of it as well. Cool. Um, do you have anything to add uh, on that sense, uh, therapeutic area diseases that uh, a transition make most, uh, most sense? Yeah, no, I actually fully agree with what Sean said. So um, I was actually working on med devices for, for Baxter, and I, I don't personally have a surgery background because I was an immunologist, but, you know, I was still asked to to still expand on that. And I certainly in that part of my career, I relied heavily on some of the common skill sets that we all need. So, you know, we have all trained in science. We all know how to submit abstracts and journals and represent data in the company at conferences and so forth. But, you know, sometimes in the beginning of your career, you're often being hired um, because you have a certain therapeutic area skill. And so for, uh, so for me, because I'm an immunologist, I actually fit a little bit better now in autoimmunity and, you know, hematology, immunology, oncology, where I'm currently at. But I, I do believe the, the further you get along in your career, um, the more you benefit and the easier, easier it becomes to transition um, into new therapeutic areas. I think the chances that you will work within one therapeutic area uh, in your life, some, some medical di directors certainly do that, but I think uh, lately in pharma, the chances are quite slim and you often are being asked to take on multiple therapeutic areas that you might not know that much about. And I think the further you get in your career, the easier it, easier it, it gets to, to kind of transition to something new. But it certainly depends a little bit, um, you know, where you are in your career. Are you willing to uh, go outside of your therapeutic area? That might be scary at first, but certainly I think at some point in your career that will happen. So uh, if we try to expand a little bit more, um Sean, what would you say that um, what internal versus external factors do you need to consider? Relationships and knowledge that you build up are certainly predicated on disease state, therapeutic area expertise, but also the the, uh, the area that you're in. One has relationships with regulators uh, in one part of the FDA and, and, and the equivalent bodies internationally or, or the other part, and relationships with physicians in surgeons or non-surgeons. So uh, you're going to have to consider that those relationships are going to change and you're going to have to um, redevelop your, your networks uh, and your, your contacts. And that brings with it um, some attendant factors. Uh, 
will you have credibility with those new stakeholders? Will you be able to develop that credibility if you don't currently have it? How will you interact with customers who may view you, in, and this is the case in my instance, as a non-surgeon uh, talking to them about, about surgery? But um, all of these obstacles, if they are obstacles, are um, able to be dealt with by the fact that you bring to the table the credibility of a long industry career. And so once again, I would say that whilst they are important to be aware of, and you will have to go through the learning curve, so to speak, they are certainly not insurmountable and they are, they are not derailers. Thank you. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Uh, what are the internal versus external factors that you need to consider? Yeah, I, I fully agree with, with Sean. So if you don't have your therapeutic background, it, it sometimes does take you a little longer to get up to speed because you might have to re-educate yourself on what the problems are or what the um, challenges are that a particular physician in that disease area faces. But I think, to me, those are also very interesting and exciting to start on. And I, I, I must always say some... some um, colleagues that don't have the disease indication background, sometimes they are asking the best questions that nobody thought about because you kind of bring that fresh face or new view to, to the situation. Um, I think, you know, if, if you don't have that disease background, um, I, always, I always think you really have to rely on building relationships much quicker. Um, I do believe um, if you work with consultants, so if you work with physicians that do have the disease background, they would love to, to train you. They would love to help you get up to speed. And I think it's also, you know, a matter of pre preparation, but also your own reputation. I think if a physician um, knows about you, but you don't have that disease background, as long as you don't waste his time, you make sure you're thorough in the follow-up and so forth. And I, I do believe everybody has a reputation that, you know, most physicians will look at. And certainly the better prepared you are, um, the better it is. Uh, Sean, uh, if you had to name two or three challenges our listeners need to be aware of, uh, what would those challenges be? The first one is going to be, are there going to be limitations that are placed upon you as you make this transition because of the therapeutic area that you come from and are moving to? If you remain in that therapeutic area, um, again, in my instance, neurology to, to neurosurgery, that gets rid of certain ob uh, challenges or, or objections that you may have because you, you're leveraging your um, sci scientific knowledge. On the other hand, um, there are general experiences and skill sets that you bring that may be very valuable. So if one were moving from a vigilance position in pharma to a vigilance position in the medical device sector, skill set and knowledge that you bring with you is probably more valuable than your scientific background. But uh, you will face some concern and challenge from people in the uh, company that you're joining who may doubt your abilities uh, in the particular field because you lack the surgical background or the therapeutic area expertise. The other thing, and um, I think this has been mentioned a couple of times already, is that the regulations are a little bit different, maybe a lot different, uh, in pharma and devices. And you definitely have to learn the new regulations in the um, 
area that you move to because you cannot simply apply the rules that were, were in play uh, in the other sector. Um, there are difference, differences in terms of uh, the type and nature of clinical studies that will be required in terms of reporting timelines, in terms of the expectation of your customers, how often you get to interact with them, how long you get to interact with them, and all of these things uh, are simply differences that one needs to be aware of. They're certainly not insurmountable challenges in any way. Coop, uh, how about yourself? What are the two or three challenges are listening to be aware of uh, that you can think of? Yeah, so I, th I think there certainly will be a lot of challenges. You, you're typically on a very, very steep learning curve, so you really got to make sure that you manage your time correctly. Um, you have to learn a lot in a very short period. It's not just the disease, but also, you know, you have to start working with some of the internal departments that have that knowledge. So this is kind of alluding to what Sean said. For instance, regulatory, I had to sit down with a couple of different regulatory people that were either doing more of the devices or more of the biologics, especially when you work with a large company, you might have a regulatory person that only does biologics or only drugs or only devices, and that might be then separated between those people where you have to then collaborate with all of them because they have to tell you what you need to do as a medic or a clinical person. Um, I'm in medical affairs now, so I, we're, not, we're completely separate from our clinical department, but it's same there. So you will have to sit down with whoever is running the trial within the, the clinical department to see what's that design, are they doing full-blown clinical trial. Um, when I worked on some of the 510Ks for devices, it was only animal studies that we had to provide. So you have to have very clear understanding of all these different internal departments, um, but also the timelines. I think those are kind of the biggest differences. The timelines can be hugely variable how quick a device or a drug will get on the market. And therefore, if your timelines are compressed, then you're going to even be more on a, on a steep learning curve than before. So those are some of the pitfalls, um, challenges you have to think of. But certainly, it's, it's, you can certainly overcome them, I would say. Um, but I think collaboration, um, relying on your social skills, whether it's with your internal stakeholders or your customers, those will all, all become very, very key um, skill sets to have and that you will have to use to make sure that you know you're on that steep learning curve and you do deliver in the end. Then moving a little bit, uh, Sean, uh, what will you say are the uh, two or three keys uh, to making a successful move uh, that our listeners need to uh, consider? I think um, go in there with the attitude that you are a sponge, meaning you know absor absorb everything, be willing to learn, and recognize that you you have to learn new things, new rules, new ways of interacting. Take the time and, and put in the effort to build an appropriate network. You need to understand the uh, differences in the internal stakeholders. You need to understand the differences in the regulations. Uh, and so don't ever hesitate to ask and don't hesitate to admit that you don't know something. And then, uh, and I think this applies equally regardless of which direction one mo moves in. Um, th this is a this is a team sport, and so um, you know, bring to the table the the skills and uh, and knowledge that you have, but make certain that you don't go uh, you know out there to try to conquer everything on your own. Um, work with the people that you 
are, are given the opportunity to, to work with and, and, and do it in a team way, and you'll be very successful. Poop, uh, what will you say are the uh, your two or three key uh, uh, points for making a successful move? Yeah, I, I kind of uh, fully agree with Sean here. You will have to rely a lot on your networks and your interactions with what I just mentioned, internal and external uh, stakeholders, because if you don't, you might easily miss something big um, that you just don't, you're not just not aware of. And so, you know, making quick connections with a couple of your key customers that really you know, are willing to help you uh, with, you know, maybe even answering dumb questions. But if that prevents you from, you know, making mistakes, you certainly will have to rely on that. Um, I Typically, I, I do think you'll have to spend extra hours um, in getting yourself up to speed. Um, it just, you know, you can't compete with somebody who's already an expert within that disease. And so what, what Sean said too, you have to be a sponge and certainly you will have to put a lot more time and energy in it because you might not know that field in the beginning, but certainly you'll get to it. But um, I always found that you will have to put extra time and energy in it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, this is uh, excellent information and great knowledge uh, on the transferable skills uh, for the first part of our, our podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, for these important insights. We hope the listeners have enjoyed the conversation and gained valuable insights in regards to transitioning between med tech, pharmaceuticals, and vice versa.